0: and this podcast is a recording of that session, so that everyone can benefit from that knowledge. Let the knowledge flow. Ask the Dean episode fifty seven with my amazing mapped team, co-founder of Mapped Ooh. Rachel Grubbs. How are you doing, my friend?
1: I'm great. Uh, great. I'm happy I have air conditioning.
0: Hey, I don't have air conditioning. Don't rub it in my face.
2: Sorry. <laughs>
0: i am a little i'm a little uh glisteny today because uh, it's, it's warm in the house um newest member of the Matt team verinia don't call me virginia <laughs> random how are you doing i'm doing great thank you <laughs> we're so excited to have yeah. you thank you and bringing up the rear scott the man of the hour Never start learning. Uh, Former executive director of TMDSAS and uh, director of admissions at UT Southwestern. Hanging out in Austin, Texas. How are you? Austin.
3: Doing well. Doing well. Everything's going well here in Austin. It's a nice 82 degrees this afternoon. Love it. Got a few rain showers, and so it's been a pleasant day. Unlike in Seattle or Portland, where it's...
0: 100 plus.
3: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Ugh. No, bueno. oh,
0: thank you. No oh. bueno.
3: No bueno, that's right. No bueno. <laughs>
0: so, so team as we're recording this, it's the end of June. For the students who haven't submitted their application yet, should they start sweating?
2: Hmm. Yeah. A little bit. <laughs> A little bit.
0: Yeah, little bit. yeah, little
2: bit. yeah little bit. I think
3: I think this is getting to getting to the point where they should be uh, getting their self in gear. Uh, you know, I usually suggest uh, sometime in June, but we're getting to the end of June. So, uh, you know, it takes a while to get verified and uh, all that. And so you need to get a get a move on. Why is that important? Well, it's important because timing is is crucial. Uh, I think uh, a timely a submission of of their um, Get it before the admissions committees uh, as soon as possible, so they have plenty of time, and so they can, so that the student can take advantage of uh, all the interview slots that are available. Because as schools make decisions on who they're going to interview, those interview slots begin to go away. There are a finite number of interview slots, and so as those go away, then you're competing with other uh applicants uh for those those limited spots and so uh, you want to get in and and uh, really uh be in uh in, in, a, in a good position to take advantage of them of as many of those mass spots as possible.
0: Verini I don't think you've heard my analogy on this yet. It, I always liken the rolling admissions process to a giant game of musical chairs. Mm-hmm. Although except uh, with the exception that in musical chairs, there's always an N minus one number of chairs, right? Mm-hmm. N being the number of players. <laughs> in the medical school admissions process, the, the the number of chairs is ever diminishing, but mm-hmm. the number of players is ever increasing. And so it's, it's not a fun game at that point.
2: Mm-hmm. No way. And I think if you haven't submitted yet, then you're really not... You're probably not ready. You might want to really reconsider it at this point.
0: Yeah, it's it's getting close. And there's always that cutoff. Well, what if I submit mid-July? Like, well, you can, and here's why it's going to continue to hurt you potentially. <laughs> so even if you're waiting for that MCAT score, even if you're waiting to take the MCAT, submit your application just to one school. Yep.
2: Yep.
1: All right see what we got here in the
0: comments. A student asks, PhD students have stipends in mid-care schools. Mid-care, I don't know what that is. Uh, Usually allow flexibility to work during the schooling. I have no idea what that means. Uh, it seems like med students are penalized with loans as the only option. What can people do if they have families to support or want to start families during medical school? Loans. Yep. Yeah, I, I wouldn't call it a penalty. It's, yeah. it's offering you the, the ability to pay for something that you couldn't otherwise pay for. Yeah.
3: That's
1: true. Right. Yeah, this is a greatly reduced question, and the person that sent it in told me it was fine to cut it. He, he knew he'd gone way over the 400 character max. Um, I think the the greater context is that he he's wondering why med students only get loans while other scientific and healthcare students, have the options to get stipends or work during school. Um,
0: Thank you, NIH. Yep. Yeah, that's the NIH. That, that's how MSTP students get funded as well. That's so right. If you're an MD-PhD students, the NIH has funds set aside for for that type of research. And unfortunately, mm-hmm. they it, it's a supply and demand thing at the end of the day, right? Mm-hmm. There's plenty of people who want to go to medical school that are willing to not go just because they're getting money. So. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
3: Yep. Yeah. And, you know, to the broader question of what about uh, students who want to support their families or want to start families during medical school? Well, these are choices. Uh, you know, you want to start family during medical school. That's your choice. And you, 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 you adjust and you do things that you have to do to, cho- to, to make uh, make things work out. But, you know, if you're going to choose to go to medical school, that's going to mean certain things. And it's going to mean that you're going to have to make some sacrifices. And some of those are going to mean you're going to take out loans and you're going to repay those over a period of time. And some of them may mean you have to delay uh, starting a family until you get out of medical school. Although, you know, some people do it during medical school. You don't have to. But, you know, it's choices. You you make choices and sometimes there's trade-offs.
0: Yeah, I I don't know who this person is and I don't know what their story and background is. But there's just something about this question to me. That it kind of goes towards uh, a participation trophy type mm-hmm. question. everyone, mm-hmm. everyone gets a participation trophy. And and I couldn't hate that kind of philosophy more. I, mm-hmm. I think it's I think it's hurt our society a bunch. Um, I, I think as Scott, you said, right? It's your choice. If you want to mm-hmm. go to medical school, these are the sacrifices that you're going to have to make. It's not going to be perfect for everyone. You're going to have to have you're going to have to make hard decisions throughout the whole process. And, and mm-hmm. you're not going to get supported and applauded and and patted on the back at every step of the way. You're not going to get everything you want. Mm-hmm. That's right. Sorry, yep. Rachel, you heard that.
1: Yeah. Well, I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm intrigued because I I definitely hear what you guys are saying, and I respect it. Respect it. I agree to a point where I struggle is we've talked a lot, you know, many times, many weeks about how there's so much about the medical school application process that rewards the wealthy, right? And we know this, right? This isn't just me talking because the double AMC themselves did a study where they surveyed first year med students. And this is in, um, one of their analysis briefs. So this is like in the (laughs) double AMC newsletter from a couple years back where um, the majority of students had parents with the top 5% income levels. Now, obviously parental income isn't necessarily indicative. I know not all parents are helping, but, um, well, I certainly don't think everybody is going to get free schooling and free stipends to live while they're in school. That's just unfortunately not the way school works. Um, There are a lot of things that we do that really make it hard to become a doctor if you don't already have a lot of wealth or, I mean, even being able to take on those kinds of loans indicates a certain sort of security in your future, you know, that not, I think not everyone's going to feel. So I just, to me, there's there's something here that even though I knew we wouldn't be able to answer it because we're not the ones that control these decisions that gets at some of the um, the wealth inequity that we create in the way we uh, groom future doctors.
3: Well, it gets to the wealth inequity of all of higher education. Let's not, let's not uh, devote, you know, the, the this philosophical conversation just to medical school. It, it's a part and parcel with, the society that we have, good or bad, whether you like it or don't like it, if you want to have free medical school, if you want to have free higher education, you're going to have to go to Europe. Uh, that's just the way it is in the in the U.S. and and I don't like it either. Uh, I don't think it's I, I don't think it's the best system, but it's not just a, a product of medical school. It's a product of a, a greater issue of of American society. That's my two cents. <laughs>
0: yeah it's it's set up as a business yep. unfortunately yep. whereas in in the far majority of other countries it's set up as a a part of social service mm-hmm. um a, as part of how we grow as a country how we educate our future mm-hmm. uh, and, and i and rachel i agree with you but i i, I think my mm-hmm. comment and and the financial barriers i think are two separate things i think i hate participation trophies and we should figure out a way to reduce costs of all education. I mean, right. we, we know that the the skyrocketing cost of, of higher education in this country, both, both undergrad and and medical school, et cetera, f- is far outpacing anything. And and unfortunately, there are going to be a lot of students going to undergrad who don't want to go to medical school and are going to come out with $60,000 worth of debt, $100,000 worth of debt, and are not going to be able to find jobs. And they're mm-hmm. going to have lots of issues now I think we we as a society have put education up on a pedestal when the far majority of people should be going to a trade school or doing something else but as parents we go you you should go to college that's what you should do and you doesn't fit everyone right you Mm -hmm. need you need to be aware as a parent of what your child wants to do and you as a kid need to understand what you want to do and, and I've, I've said this a bunch. I think our, our system is backwards that we send 18 year olds off to college and go figure out what you want to do for the rest of your life. <laughs> like yeah. I barely can figure out what I want for breakfast. Like, <laughs> it's, it's ridiculous. And now I have to be in tons of debt to be able to do that. So, yeah, I, I think there are financial issues that are, are one big issue. And then the, the participation trophy stuff is a completely separate thing.
1: Yeah. yeah, I still don't see how you got from this question to participation trophy, but we, we can move on.
0: We can. <laughs> <laughs> Good afternoon. Another clinical experience question. Do you feel that medical scheduling with no direct patient care, but closely working with physicians and developing relations, relationships with patients is clinical experience? Nope. No. No. So, we, we have gone through as a team, uh, as we're building out Mapped and the application backend, and uh, now that we've added PA schools to, or the pre-PA kind of world to Mapped we've gone through, Rachel, you and Varinia have gone through and created this kind of, um, uh, I don't know what you would call it. matrix. Uh, a matrix yeah it's a good word fancy word I, I don't i don't use fancy words a matrix of what each of the application services call experiences right and and we typically talk about amcas that's because that's the the far majority of students are applying to amcas schools and amcas differentiates medical clinical experience Paid or volunteer, those are two separate, paid and volunteer, two separate ones, and then shadowing experience. So there's three kind of activities on AMCAS or in AMCAS that a student could potentially put as working with patients, working with doctors, uh, whether you're paid or volunteer. And so as you go through this process a lot of the language that we use fits AMCAS. Now, as as we've seen with this matrix that we put together, and Rachel, maybe we can screen share just to show that matrix. Um, Acomis, TMDSAS, and CASPA. And and CASPA and Acomis are very similar because they're both run by the same company called Liaison they use different language and they use a very generic, broad term called healthcare experience. Mm-hmm. And what you're doing as a scheduler yeah. is healthcare experience. And so for AMCAS, it wouldn't be considered clinical experience. I would mark that as non-clinical, paid or unpaid, depending on what <clears> it is. <throat> but on ACOMIS or CASPA or TMDSAS, they use very similar language that it's just mm-hmm. healthcare experience. Mm-hmm. So it, it the answer... We we give is no, but it depends on what application service you're using. So here's here's this matrix here. Rachel, you want to talk about it?
1: Yeah. So I'm going to zoom a little. I know this isn't like the easiest thing to view here. Um, please stand by. I don't remember how to zoom.
2: Oh,
1: There we go. That was a lot. Okay. So I'm. Uh, what we've got here on the left is the activity name, as we're calling it, and mapped. And then each column is the three application services for MED. So I'm going to make those a little smaller just so you can see all three at once. So this is exactly what what Ryan was just getting at. Amcast makes a very big distinction between work that is specifically clinical and their definition of clinical is like working with patients in a way related to that patient's health, Right. So not, you know, just doing admin entry, um, not just doing an intake. Um, And you can do that unpaid or paid. And then again, we talk a lot about the importance of shadowing versus clinical. Again, that's an AMCAS distinction. AMCAS wants to see separate time that you're observing physicians from when you're personally getting clinical experience versus observing clinical experience. But for a DO school or Texas, all three of those things I just said all land and healthcare. So when you're applying to a DO school or Texas, you're just calling that healthcare experience. But when you're applying to an MD school, you're going to make that big distinction. And then, you know, there's also room for a community service that isn't medical. And then there's work for work that is, is paid and is not healthcare related. So there's with AMCAS in particular, there's just a lot more nuance. And, you know, uh, Acomus actually has some text that says our categories are broad because we don't think the category matters. We just want to know what you did. But AMCAS is kind of the opposite. They're, they're a stickler for all these tiny little distinctions they make. So um, there is a human element, I think, of subjectivity where you're making your best guess, but you should understand the definitions well when you're doing that.
0: Yeah, nice. I think that helps.
1: All right. Well, we just got another does this count as clinical? Maybe, <laughs> maybe that person can write back in and say, based on what you just said, I think my answer is
0: <laughs> yep. Plasma Lab tech does working as a plasma lab technician count as clinical experience. I've seen mixed feedback about whether the plasma donors are considered patients or not. Definitely.: mm-hmm. Definitely, yeah. definitely. Right. So I agree. working with at Red Cross doing blood donation stuff. Never. Yeah,
1: I mean, if you're if you're back on the back of the truck spinning the stuff, separating the platelets, then no. But right. if you, if you're the person getting the plasma, yeah.
0: yeah. Good, good, differentiation there. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yep. Couldn't remember the term for the fuge. centrifuge. Yes, yeah, the word. See, I Just know matrix. You me. know centrifuge. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: we play. We play to our strengths yeah exactly uh oh, one more is it clinical and then we'll probably just have enough of those for today
0: <laughs> is patient transport volunteering considered clinical experience uh depends on the school <laughs> I, i've seen very mixed reviews <laughs> about this one mm-hmm. so if you're you're pushing patients around from one visit to the next or one office to the next um yeah i i would personally just mark it as clinical and let the schools do what they want to do with it yeah i agree with that
1: all right. Oh, quick circle back to our earlier question about families in medicine. Someone reminds us, Short Coat Podcast has a good episode.
0: Yeah, they, they just did one. Uh, a student I worked with several years ago who's a student there now reached out and said they wanted to do an episode and uh, all about families. And so they posted in the Hangout recently. So cool. Short Coat Podcast is part of the MedEd Media Network, which is fun.
1: All right.
0: I got my MCATs end of June scored 508. Congrats, which was lower than my full lengths. My primary is verified, so should I wait to send my primary app to schools until after I get my second MCAT back or send it now with an okay score? I'm worried they'll see my first score and reject me off the bat. My boy, it's a good score.
3: Yeah, That's send fine. it now.
0: Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yep. And if you want to take it again, go right ahead. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but it potentially will hurt you in the end because schools are going to wait. So, Scott, for for someone like this, I mean, if they were getting 520s on their full lengths and they got a 508, that's obviously very disappointing, and they're like, I can do much better. A a 520 coming in maybe in September because they have to take the test at a later date, uh, is that worth it? Or or at what score increase would you say is, quote-unquote, worth it for a student to – go ahead and retake mid application.
3: Yeah. I would say if there's at least a five point differentiation uh, between what you were averaging on those full length tests and uh, what you got. Uh, So, you know, five to five to eight points. uh, I would say, yeah, that there's a real uh, difference to that. Um, uh, Rachel, you might, make a comment about, you know, your experience in MCAT stuff, but, Mm -hmm. but uh, I I think, you know, if if you're doing, if you're doing on a pretty regular basis, 520s, and you get a 508, then absolutely, you know, there's, there's reason to, uh, to retake that, even if that delays, you know, because, you know, you get scores that high, schools are going to look at you just, just because the score is that high. That's, that's so unusual. Mm Mm-hmm. It's the upper percentiles.
1: Yeah. The only thing I would add, and I mean, this is every time someone tells me their official was different than their practice test, is I always want to dig a lot deeper
2: mm-hmm.
1: into the practice tests. Um, and, um, you know, just, just the basic questions I always ask, but they they matter because people forget. Is like, what time of day were you taking the test? What timing conditions were you doing? Where were you? Um, Because a 520 sitting on your bed in your PJs where you're letting the timer run long, it's not really a 520, right? Um, And this person didn't give that data, so I'm not saying anything about them in particular. I'm just sort of giving some examples of if your practice tests were truly under testing conditions and also you scored much lower, um, then, then, yeah, I think a retake is worth it. Yeah. If, if you're thinking back and going, no, my practice tests wouldn't really pass muster as truly proctored exams like that. I mean, you could still try a second one, but you just don't really know how you're going to do until you start making yourself take tests that are as much like the real thing as possible. Right. Right. Yep. Mm. Good
0: point. Is it okay for the secondary application to include similar themes or topics as the primary? For example, when asked about challenges, can I talk about the same challenges I discussed in my personal statement? Of course, not copy-paste, but similar challenge and takeaway. So my general answer to this is always answer the question to the best of your ability, right? Don't weaken your answer just maybe because you, you answered it somewhere else, and why are you talking about challenges in your personal statement? That's a a separate topic, but uh, yeah. yeah, Answer the question to the best of your
3: ability. Yeah. And that, you know, that this is, we were talking about this in a, in a team exercise that we had today uh, about secondary applications and just, you know, more so than any other part of the application process, I think secondaries are really focused on just respond to the prompt. You know, if the prompt says, you know, cover challenges that you face in your, in your life and what you've taken away from those challenges, then focus, you know, get to the point, focus on it. Ch- uh, secondary applications typically have shorter, shorter, uh, um, uh, character counts or word counts that, that they give you. And, uh, you don't have a whole lot of room, uh, typically to, to go into a whole lot of, uh, of other ancillary details and stuff. But, uh, yeah, so I, I agree with you, Ryan. I, I'd say, you know, just get to the point and answer the question.
0: Yes, yes. I'm a bit confused about the AMCAS timeline. Can schools see your app before it's verified at all? For example, if a school sends you secondaries and you submit them, but you're not verified, can they see your application? No. So this no. is something, Scott, and and I know you're, you're much more familiar with TMDSAS, but... I've I've figured this out over the years that schools can see that you've flagged them as a school that you're applying to pre-verification, but they can't see your application. So you could submit your application and this is post, and this is where it gets very confusing post quote unquote first wave, right? So for AMCAS historically, you submit, let's just say June 1st. And then this year it was June 25th AMCAS says, we're open for business schools come and get your, your applications, right? That's the first time anybody sees anything from a school standpoint, right? Right. If you submit your application, June 26th, schools can see that you have marked them as, as one of the schools that you're applying to, but they won't get anything until you are actually verified in the school can Mm -hmm. Can pick up your application, but right. they can start the process of the, the secondaries as soon as you submit your application. Right. Correct a mundo. So there's a <laughs> lot of confusion around that. <laughs> Would you ever consider doing a pre-law extension to MAP? Asking for my friends. Uh, well, doctors and lawyers don't get along, so no. Oh.
3: Yeah, and and we try to only we try to only address uh, we try to only address careers that have integrity. <laughs> oh, Wow! Oh, what? Did he just say
0: that? Oh. And, and that is just Scott's opinion, and his opinion does not represent the opinion of MAP or any of its subsidiaries. Oh,
1: my goodness. Yeah. So here's the COO here answering with her business hat. uh Yeah, maybe one day. We are going to keep our focus in healthcare first. So, um, We actually did a soft launch of our pre-PA program last week, and um, we'll be doing more announcements about that this week over email and social and stuff. Um, So if you're watching this on the replay, we've been doing PA for several weeks now. And if you're live, tell your friends Um, and we'll, we'll do probably other healthcare verticals first, partly because they're all similar, but also because they all have many years of preparation in advance of the application And that's the big difference with pre-law is there isn't really a pre-law path. You can be absolutely any major. You don't have a whole bunch of prerequisite courses you have to check off. You don't have a whole bunch of, you know, like there's no, Mm -hmm. there's no equivalent of getting clinical experience for law. Like you don't have to have worked in a law office when you apply to law school. So, so would we ever do pre-law? Sure. But we are going to keep focus both on healthcare because that's kind of what we all know and love, but also, on the, on the pre-professional programs that really like people talk about the application process, like it's a year, but really you're kind of like in the pre-application for three or four years. So we're starting with those because we think that's where MAP can help the most.
3: Yes. Agreed.
0: All right. Do I need to complete snapshot and duet if schools on my list only require Casper? So I had a lovely conversation with Dr. Kelly Doerr last week. Uh, She is the co-creator of Casper and the MMI. So you can blame her for all of that torture and uh, Casper and the Altus team apologize for a lot of miscommunication this cycle when it comes to snapshot and duet and what schools are requiring, what schools aren't and what they're doing, uh, previously you had to take, you had to do snapshot and duet within like 10 or 14 days of taking Casper. And, and what they're doing, because a lot of schools are still in limbo of whether or not they're going to require it or, or not, they're saying take it whenever you want. You don't have to do it within a certain time period, but take it and nobody will see anything unless the school is going to require it once the school requires it then they'll send it to the school so if a school is is wishy-washy they're not going to send yours and nobody else's and the school is going to have this extra piece of information that may hurt you they they won't do that so they're going to allow students to take it whenever post casper duet and snapshot and if a school that you are applying to requires it you're already done with it you don't have to worry about it If no school requires it, nothing will happen. It'll it'll just sit there with Altus. So, my recommendation is do it because schools are very much in flux with whether or not they're going to use this stuff. If I'm listed in the acknowledge acknowledgments of a publication but not as an author i shouldn't list it as a publication right just include in the activity description that it was continued to be published correct mm-hmm. easy peasy lemon squeezy if you are verified and have submitted secondaries at what point should you recognize that it's probably not your year tmds and mcas
3: you know I've always thought that Thanksgiving was a good indicator yep. uh if you haven't heard anything by Thanksgiving, then probably not a good sign yep
0: yeah and and this question it's interesting specifically says t m d s a s and amcast mm-hmm. a COMIS is a little bit more stretched out yes I, my my assumption uh and this is just my own my own guess is that a COMIS kind of understands that there's a lot of stigma around the DO world in the pre-med community. And they are saving some interview spots for students who apply AMCAS first or TMBSAS first, aren't getting a lot of traction, and then are quickly submitting a DO application and are very good-looking to a lot of DO schools. And so they're, they're saving some interview seats for those types of students.
3: Yep, agreed with that.
0: And, and and honestly, I, I think in probably 10 years, that's going to go away because you're going to see that stats for DO schools are going to be just as high as those for AMCAS and TMDSAS, unfortunately or fortunately, depending on how you look at it. Yeah. A lot of secondaries asked to talk about any elements that might be concerning to the admissions committee. is. It's acceptable to talk about an unbalanced MCAT score, five fourteen overall, but low cars aside from grades. What are common answers to this question?
3: I don't think you drill down that that deep into MCAT scores and and talk about stuff like that. I I, I mean, to me, what they're looking for is stuff about you personally and not academically necessarily. Mm-hmm. And now, if you've got some deviations and stuff. I had a student the other day who had some drops and, and uh, a withdrawal over a whole semester that they wanted to address. And it was because of some health problems of her mother and, and some stuff like that. And so that makes a lot of sense in that regard. But I I think a lot of these, these open-ended questions where they say, you know, is there any, what would you like to tell the admissions committee? Or, you know, is there anything else you want to talk about that the committee should consider. Um, I, I don't think drilling down into why your CAR score was three points lower than your biochemistry score is really what they're wanting to know.
1: Especially when you have a 91st percentile. (laughs) And it's funny. I say that a little like, but really, I mean, congratulations, man. You got absolutely. absolutely. Like it's so funny about that cars. Why don't you take those shoulders down and go, yay me.
3: Yeah. (laughs) That's
1: a good
0: score.
3: (laughs) Absolutely.
0: All right. Do you know, sorry, before we jump into this, is there risk of doing that, talking about a low car score? Does that potentially reflect that the student's not super self-reflective of any other issues? They're like, oh, I got a bad car score.
3: You know, I, I it could. Yeah, it could. I mean, I think what if, if, if you are given an open-ended question that says, what do you want to communicate to the admissions committee? What do you want them to know? And the only thing you can talk about <laughs> is your low car score. Yeah. Then to me, that's, that's a little bit of a, of, a, yeah. of a red flag that says, wow, you know, there's nothing else. You mean if you were sitting in front of our committee in the <laughs> meeting itself, that's what you would talk about?
0: Yeah. Got it. Yeah. Love it.
1: Uh, I would say similar goes for the people who want to talk about the one C they got.
3: Yeah. Right. Exactly.
1: Like, I'm, pr- I'm proud of you for your amazing stats and please get some perspective. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, this person submitted two versions. I'm trying to find the one that's actually a complete question. Here we go.
0: Do you know, do you know of schools that weight MCAT above GPA? I'm finding it hard to make a school list with a three, four, five, twenty two. five twenty two. If there's no meaningful GPA trend, do those stats scream quote lazy? Mm. so i I'll, I'll make my one statement on school lists and then virginia I'll let, I'll let you answer uh my philosophy don't use stats to make a school list that's,
2: that's what it. i was gonna say that's exactly <laughs> what i was gonna say you think the words right out of my mouth but i don't see how that screams lazy anyway uh what what in that situation is lazy i to understand 3.
1: uh so 1, i don't know 22 that's a thing that comes up a lot in college applications that they say if you have a high sat and high ect but low grades we're going to assume you're smart but don't care mm-hmm. which i don't actually know if that's true mm-hmm. um uh there is um i think more stigma with poor grades if you're going to a highly selective college because because of the fact that there's 4,000 plus colleges out there, right? Um, so the select ones are really, really select versus we're talking about, what, 240 med schools in America. Um, but I'm not sure where this person has that idea. I'm just, I'm yeah. guessing. That sounds like leftover from college admissions to me.
3: Yeah, and I, I would say, you know, this is the, this seems to me like a question that's really hyper-focused on, on numbers. Mm-hmm. And uh, what, what I would say is... A 3.4 is not a bad GPA. And, and what the schools, what the medical schools are going to be looking at is a lot of other things. Uh, they're going to be looking at where did you go to school? What was your major? What are, you know, wh- what are the classes that you took? You know, it, maybe a 3.4 in your uh, chemical engineering major was an awesome score. I mean, an awesome uh, GPA. Uh, you know, so it, it, they're going to be looking at other things going on. Did you work during college? Uh, did you have other responsibilities? So there could be a lot of things that affect that that GPA so that it's not necessarily an issue now. Having said that, if, if there's nothing else in the application, you didn't work, you weren't a varsity athlete. You weren't a like hyper complicated major, like an engineering major, where the, the difficulty of the of the courses and the and the competition in those majors are, is, is fairly intense. It minus all of that, and there's nothing else in your application that indicates why necessarily your GPA is 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 a slightly bit lower. 3.4 is not a bad GPA. He, don't hear that. Um, then I would say sometimes admissions committee members will wonder, well, the 522 says a lot, just as you said, uh, Rachel, a few minutes ago, the 522 says a lot about your intellectual capacity, your ability to critically analyze and, and to take tests. Well, the 3.4 could potentially suggest that you're not uh, as good in the classroom, um, that doesn't mean it's definitely that way, but I've heard that from admissions committee members before, uh, when there was a big difference between. And I, I'm usually talking about more like three one, three two, three zero GPAs with a with a very high MCAT score. And uh, but in this case, I think the the point that I'm trying to make here is. The essence of holistic review is they're looking at everything. They're not just looking at that 3.4 and that 5.22. There is no weighting. Uh, I mean, the the initial part of this question says, do you know of scores that weight MCAT and GPA, uh, above GPA? They're looking at all of it. Uh, They're not formulaically um, uh, necessarily, particularly with these types of numbers, you know, uh, blocking out students because of some differentiation like that.
1: Mm -hmm. All
0: right. Can schools see what app services that you have applied to? For example, Texas schools see that you also applied to AMCAS and vice versa.
3: So, in the case of the Texas schools, they we ask on TMDSCS, We ask, um, are you applying to a, uh, other application services, ACOMAS, and you mark yes or no, and AMCAS you mark yes or no, and and uh, and then and that is just to give the, the 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 schools in Texas sort of a broader perspective on. Where are you applying? It doesn't mean that it's going to mean anything. It doesn't suggest that you're not really interested in going to a Texas school. It's just for information's sake, basically. It's not going You're not going to be disadvantaged because you say, yes, I'm also applying to AMCAS.
0: Scott, I, I have historically not liked that question on TMDSAS. I, I wouldn't mind it if they asked, but then didn't release that information to, and to schools, but it's mm-hmm. used more as data collection for TMDSAS. Right. Um. It it always scares me. You say that it it's not going to hurt the students, but you never know, right? Implicit bias is there. Um. And they go, "Wow, that's a pretty big uh, non-TMDSAS school list." It looks like you're interested in getting out of here. Um. I, I know it's not supposed to do that, but I always worry about having that extra data. To yeah, that makes sense. Um. Throw someone. Yeah.
1: Hmm. Follow up on our secondary.
0: The difficult part about answering that secondary question, which secondary question? Oh, like any the the broad one, yeah, Yeah. Yeah. Uh, is that it specifically asks about quote concerning stuff. They don't ask Mm. you about quote anything you want the ad. Okay, okay. Then for someone like me who didn't have any withdrawals or gaps, it became it becomes hard to find something concerning aside from stats. Yeah, that makes sense. Is it okay to say uh, I don't have anything? Or should, should you go with something like cars? I don't
3: know. Um, I guess students don't like to say, don't like to leave anything blank, typically. And I, I get that. So I, I would say in that particular situation, okay, you might kind of go into a little bit about that, about the cars, if that's the only thing that you've got to talk about. I mean, I, I don't know. What do what, what the rest of you think? Uh, well, we,
1: I don't want to out this person, but we know them. We did an am I ready with them. And I don't think they have very much concerning in their application period. So, I mean, is it like super hubristic to be like, no, if I'm set, <laughs> like, <laughs> or do you need to kind of make a thing up? <laughs> I mean, they could say, you know, I'm, I'm an immigrant and English is my, I think it's their third language. I don't remember. You know, and I'm continuing to work on improving my English skills. And I think you see that in my cards. But like, I feel like you want to turn it into a positive. You don't want to just be like, well, I know what cards is bad, right? Like, you'd want to turn it into a here's a thing I'm working on.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I agree. Good point. Brittany, you were going to say something.
2: Um, I lost my train of thought. Sorry. I got engrossed in what Rachel was saying.
1: Just interrupt me next
2: time. My bad. My bad. <laughs> okay. Uh, lost track
1: of where we are. Oh, another mapped question. Okay.
0: Are there plans to make the mapped essay drafting portions more similar to how the application services have that listing, the contacts, hours, activity, et cetera, with it? Potentially.
1: Yeah, so right now... The contact hours activity, that level of detail is in your activity section. And currently, the application portion is just doing essays. Um, so we could definitely add that level of nuance. Like our long-term goal is to have that application section be a little bit more like a simulation of the real real application. But right now, we're working on the assumption that you're putting all of that detail in your application, in the activities part of your map. So there is a place that holds it.
0: Yeah. And I think it, there's
1: even a drop down. So you can say this essay ties to this it. thing.
0: Yep. Exactly.
1: Yeah. All right.
0: In your opinion, what should I do if I get into an MD PhD program out of state and my MD program in state? I have six kids to consider for moving and housing. With the caveat, the in-state school told me that it is, quote, very highly possible, but not 100%, that I can transfer into the MD-PhD program during MS2. So I, I'm gonna I'm going to quote something that I heard on a tech podcast a while ago, is never buy technology that has the promise of doing something unless it actively does the thing that you want it to do. Meaning don't go to the MD program with the hope that you can transfer into the MD-PhD program if your dream is to go to an MD-PhD program. Right. Agreed. Yeah.
1: Now, the flip side of this is you have six children. You might have someone helping you raise those children. This may be a bigger decision, right? You might decide that in-state is the right choice for you. right? But, 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 I you think- have,
3: but based on what... I agree with what you're saying, Rachel, based on what Ryan said, I think you have to recognize and be cognizant of the fact that you have to be happy with the MD only program because you, there's no guarantees yep. that the MD PhD slots going to come up okay. and you may decide later, well, I don't want to do the MD PhD after all. all that does is extend it by three or four years. So. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And you can always do research later. You know, yeah. I've got friends who are my age, i.e. old, who are still <laughs> still getting MSs and PhDs on top of the MD they got way back when. No. You know, it doesn't have to be a dual program for you to get right. that research element in your career. Right.
0: Yeah. You You can do as much or as little research as you want with, quote, unquote, mm-hmm. only an MD or D.O. DM. Oh, man, that's right. And kudos to it.
2: this person for doing this with,
0: with six you know, kids. An entire
2: yeah. show. That's yeah, a so right. family. that person can talk it. to
1: our other person, and they can like yes. brainstorm ideas. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> it's possible. Yeah. please to you. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe we'll make a subgroup of the MAP members. You know, we could have lots of subgroups. <laughs> you know, like Latinx here and people with dependents here. <laughs> All right. Uh, question about schoolists.
0: I'm basing my school is mostly on location and mission, then factoring in GPA MCAT to narrow it down. Is that, uh, is this a good method or is there another way you'd recommend? So I did a podcast interview with, um, Joanne snap. She's former director of admissions at Zucker. That's is it Hofstra. That is yeah. Hofstra. Yeah. Um, and then uh, she ran the, the health professions advising at UC Davis for many years. And we did a podcast recently on the pre-med years all about building the ultimate school list. Um, I'm trying to um, pull that up for or Scott, you want to give your thoughts on that?
3: Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think the difficulty in in in, in making school choices uh, of where you're going to go is, is that Often, not always, but often uh, when you when you're trying to look up and and depend on the medical school websites for information about their values or the missions or whatever, it's often leaves you with a a sense of I I need more. I want I want I want to know more. And uh, because you can go and look at three school school mission statements and see the exact same thing. On three on, on the three different schools, and so I think I, that I, I get it that that makes it very difficult. Now, in some cases, that's not true, but I think in a lot of cases that is true, and so it's it 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 leaves students often with the with the frustration that I need to know more about what this school is all about, and it makes it even more difficult in these virtual interview. Uh, times where they don't get to go to the school, they don't get to feel it, they don't get to see it, they don't get to experience it, they don't get to talk to the students uh, as much. Uh, the whole experience is 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 uh, truncated in such a way that that makes it uh, a little bit more difficult for for uh, for making those school choices. So I get I that. Think,
2: I think they. You know, you have to also consider what are you willing to do? Are you willing to relocate? Right? Are you willing to, you know, go outside of state, you know, to another part of the country? Um, so I often started with location with some of the students that I met with. What are your, you know, how far are you willing to go? That kind of thing. Um, because if that's not something that you can do, or you don't see yourself leaving your family, uh, you know, then, then it's that's, that's your criteria right there. Number right. one, location.
0: Right. Yep, yep. And the uh, the episode that I did with Joanne Snap is episode 437 of the Pre-med Years. So if you go to slash 437 there's uh, the show notes, which is a big summary of what we talked about and uh, or, or you can listen to it, whether it's in Spotify or any other podcast app that you use.: love those show notes. The
1: <laughs> show notes are the best. on. Awesome. Thank you, Ryan. Thank you, Ryan's team. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Thank you, Kate. <laughs> Thank you, Kate. All right. How late is too late to take the MCAT for this cycle? I have to postpone my MCAT due to some family obligations. Submitted my MCAT and a Comus in the first week of June. Do you advise to wait until the next cycle conflicted on what to do as I put much work into my primary application? Thoughts?
3: Wow. Well, I, I guess I, I mean, we, we, there's a lot of information we don't have here. How prepared are you for the MCAT? Are you still preparing? Um, you know, were you preparing and then this family obligation happened and that derailed what you were going to do? Or did that, did you have a timeline that got derailed because of that? Or is this a second thought? Or, or did you push it because you don't feel, um, Quite ready to take the MCAT. I mean, there's a lot of issues here that I don't see that we they, that we have available to us uh, within the context of this question. Um, I don't think it's too late to take the MCAT for the uh, for this cycle yet. But the later it goes, the the more difficult it's going to be because the the medical schools aren't going to do anything with your application without an MCAT. It's just going to sit there. Uh, ma- the vast majority of the medical schools uh, are, are not going to do anything with your with your application until they have a complete file.
1: Yep, it's tough. There's always people in this situation every year. Yeah, so yeah. I just i want I want to give time machines to everyone and have you all take the MCAT in January with March as your fallback. Yep. So, hey, if anyone's listening who's applying next year, we heard it yep. here. Aim for yep. January. Build yeah. and cushion. And maybe this person did, so, like, no no shade. I'm just saying. Pull forward. Pull forward. When in doubt, pull the timeline forward. <laughs> uh, let's see. We have time for a couple more. Oh, that's funny. Rapid we have, fire. We have a question that says we have time for another more. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: Can the lack of in-person shadowing be a, quote, concerning element of my application? I would talk about how COVID affected the pre-med community with finding direct shadowing and that I'm still trying. Yes, and with COVID, schools are aware shadowing has been hard.
2: I don't think they need to talk about how COVID affected. I mean, you can mention it, but it's definitely something everyone experienced.
0: Yeah. So with with the COMIS, there's a there is a COVID-19 question so they could potentially bring it up there.
3: Mm-hmm. And then a
0: lot of secondaries are asking yeah. about how COVID have, has affected so so there as well. Yep. Um Scott, we did uh, an episode or you did an episode of Inside mm-hmm. Med Admissions talking about COVID-19 in the application cycle and, and yep. the, the number of hours for clinical experience shadowing and things were were brought up. So I recommend students go check out that episode.
3: Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. Do you think extensive employment history, working in food service for six years, post-graduation employment, another four years, is appropriate for a diversity essay? Or is that a weak or lackluster? Mm. So, so here's one thought, and then I'll let you expand on it. The the what is <laughs> I'm, I'm stealing Scott's line. The what is not as important as the so what. So correct. The question is, how are you going to write about working in the food industry, adding to diversity of the the mm-hmm. class? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah,
3: exactly. I think I think there's there's a uh, you know the the so what is the key here, as it is in my view everywhere. Is the what is okay? I worked in food service for six years, and then I worked in other employment for four years. And the question becomes: So what? You know, how does that apply to diversity? And if you make the case for it through reflection, and you really talk about it about how what that did for you and to you, and how you how you've reflected on that, and etc., then I, I would say, yeah, it, it's it's quite possible that that could be could work out for a diversity yet. Uh, essay, But just because you worked in food service and just because you've worked for 10 years, uh, th- that in and of itself doesn't, I, I don't think, doesn't meet muster for a diversity ex- essay. Mm.
1: Yeah, I like it, but uh, I've been in food service myself and was horrible at it and am therefore now one of the world's biggest tippers. Um <laughs> I always think everybody in America should have to work a crap retail and a crap food service job for like a year or so yep, before yep. they're allowed to have cushy jobs. <laughs> but to your point, Scott, I'm assigning meaning, right? I'm creating my own. So what, right. and, this That's is right. what and that may or may not be their experience. Um, but, but yeah, I think, I think there's potential here.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. I worked as both a bag boy at a grocery store and a bus boy or a bagger and a bus boy at a Texas roadhouse way back in the day. So I I had all you can eat those, those lovely rolls with the honey butter. Oh, I love those those things. things. So (laughs) good. So good. good. Yeah. Didn't Texas roadhouse the one with the peanuts too that you throw on the floor? Yeah. That was my job to clean it all up.
3: (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. Now I'm hungry all of a sudden. Thanks a lot, Ryan. <laughs> I'm hungry all the time.
0: <laughs> uh, is starting to study for the January MCAT in August too early?
1: I don't think so. No. Nope. Um, nope. A lot of students allow two months and most of them find they need three. And I think three is right if it's the main thing you're doing. But if you were also balancing school, um, you know, August sounds far away from January, but you think uh, August, September, October, November, you probably have Thanksgiving and or finals, December, more of that. Uh, depending on your family situation, you might have end of year holiday obligations you can't get out of. And then suddenly it's January 5th and that MCAT's staring you in the face. Yeah. You know, so it, it goes fast. Um, yeah, it does. So, so, yeah, I don't think it's too early. Um, nope. Just get yourself on a schedule. It's like a job, mm-hmm. right? It might be a part-time yeah. job, right? You might have days off, but make a schedule. Mm-hmm. And like any job, you might be sick once or twice, but mostly just show up.
0: Yep. 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 Blueprints, study planner tool is a great tool that you can get using their free account.
1: Yeah. Yeah, whether or not you use uh, Blueprint tools, you can get the Blueprint study scheduler. It's It's really helpful. Yep. Yep. Uh, one last one.
0: How often do adcoms call the references given the activity section?
3: <laughs> uh, that would be never. as in never. Uh, almost uh, never. Yeah.
2: yeah. <laughs> we were just talking about this last week, I think. Yeah. No. Yeah. No, don't. Is very, it possible? Yes. Is it probable? No. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Awesome! Right. Another Ask the Dean in the books with the amazing Mapped team. If you guys are not out there using your referral code inside of Map to give a month, get a month. Go do that. That's uh, in your profile. If you click on your little profile and under your subscription tab is where your referral code is that students can use to sign up and if you have some pre pa friends go let them know that mapped is now available we're not we're not advertising it yet or talking about it much We're we're going through some website changes to add all the pre pa stuff now so you can go tell all your friends about it cool
1: thanks everyone.
0: this is dr gray again closing out i hope you learned something from our session today if you haven't yet checked out mapped i invite you to try it for free for two weeks by going to mapped.com slash podcast track and navigate your journey to medical school using the only tool like it for pre-meds we'll see you next week here on ask the dean